It's March 1st, and you are listening to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. I'm Laura Pascas, Senior Producer for Our Land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future. If you have been paying any attention to Western water news, you know that seven Western states, the federal government, and Mexico are all grappling with continued lower flows and very low reservoirs on the Colorado River. Lower basin states like California and Arizona in particular are looking at having to make cuts. But as an upper basin state, New Mexico's situation is pretty different. I spoke recently with New Mexico's Upper Colorado River Compact Commissioner Esteban Lopez about New Mexico's allocations of Colorado River water in a warming world. And you know, we run a tight ship when it comes to the broadcast show. There is so much news to fit into New Mexico and focus every week. So what you're gonna hear now is the full conversation with Commissioner Lopez. We talk about New Mexico, climate change, the reality of tossing out the Colorado River Compact and starting from scratch. We also talk about tribes in the upper basin and politics in the lower basin, and the similarities and differences between the Rio Grande and the Colorado. Commissioner Lopez, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the Colorado River today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. So I want to start just with the basics. People hear about the Colorado River and maybe don't think about New Mexico necessarily. Where does New Mexico fit into the larger river basin and allocations? Well, um, the Colorado River spans um, probably seven states in the U.S. and then goes into Mexico. And uh, in New Mexico, uh, the San Juan River is the, the river that most people are familiar with. That's a major tributary of the Colorado River. And that's uh, where we get some of the Colorado River water apportioned to us as a result. Um, we also have smaller, much smaller amounts uh, further south in the Silver City area with the Gila River and the San Francisco River, but those are much smaller by comparison. Um, we, uh, in terms of how much we get, first the Colorado River was split between the upper basin and the lower basin. The upper basin being comprised of all of the, all of the area that flows into that watershed above Lee Ferry, uh, Arizona which is right below Glen Canyon Dam near Page, Arizona. And um, that's the upper basin. And it's uh, for our purposes, we generally think of that as the states of New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. Um, the lower basin is uh, the portion that flows in below that. And that's comprised primarily of flows in uh, Arizona, California, and Nevada. And then, as I mentioned before, um, Mexico has has um, some rights to it as well. Okay. I think it's accurate to say that there's a crisis on the Colorado, particularly on the, the lower Colorado. Um, how would you characterize the upper basins situation right now? Well, the upper basin situation is, you know, we for really decades, we've been naturally shorted by hydrology. Um, in other words, we don't have a lot of big storage reservoirs above uh, above us that we can rely on, like the lower basin does. Um, so if uh, if there's a if you happen to live within a tributary that gets a lot of snow, you might get a full supply that year. 
if uh, that tributary or that basin doesn't uh, generate a lot of snow that year, uh, oftentimes we're short. So while the upper basin was apportioned, um, that area above Lee Ferry was apportioned seven and a half million acre feet under the uh, 1922 Colorado River Compact, um, we've never used that much, um, in part because we haven't fully developed, but oftentimes because we're just shorted by the, what Mother Nature gives us. Uh, recently, we've been uh, using something like four to four and a half million acre feet rather than that seven and a half million that was apportioned to us collectively in the upper basin. Anyone who has paid even a little bit of attention to the Colorado River Basin knows that there have been lots of conflicts over a very long time between Arizona and California. And I'm curious if there are any similar divisions between upper basin states. Um, and if so, um, or if not, um, why not? Well, you know, I think you're correct. There's been, uh, historically, there's been uh, significant conflicts, primarily in the lower basin between Arizona and California, you're, you're right. Uh, but over the last um, 20 to 25 years, certainly the time that I've been working on the Colorado River, um, there's been a lot of collaboration amongst the states and we've been able to uh, solve problems uh, collaboratively rather than through litigation. In the upper basin, um, you know, as I've mentioned, we have never fully utilized our water. Um, and right now, I think that we are um, very much united in terms of our, our, our approach to things. Um, uh, we recognize that the overuse that's going on in the, in the river right now is a lower basin overuse. We recognize that it's a crisis for the river as a whole and that we've got we've to contribute towards finding solutions. But the, the real... Um, dynamics, the, the dynamics of, of how this, um, who has to take shortages is really going to have to happen in the lower basin if we're going to be able to stabilize the system. And that dynamic is really between Arizona and California primarily. Um, it, it, as, as you've probably heard recently in response to the um, Bureau of Reclamation uh, that, that uh, is doing a supplemental environmental impact study, um, they requested that the states get together and develop a consensus alternative for them to, to evaluate. Um, we tried. We were not able to get a full consensus. Rather, we got six states without California to agree on uh, an alternative. And uh, California has its own alternative that they've proposed. Uh, we, uh, we are, I don't consider that a failure yet. We still have work uh, to, to do and try and get to a full consensus between now and when that evaluation is completed. And, and we're working on it. One of the things that I've always wondered about is in my mind, I tend to think of upper basin states, like the further you are up in a watershed, sometimes maybe the more like political power or clout you might have. Um, but it seems like the lower basin states always really dominate everything. <laughs> Why is that? Well, there's there's a couple of things. Um, if you think simply about the um, kind of the politics of, of this, if you look state by state at the politics, um, California 
has a huge population and hence they have um, many, many um, congressmen, uh, congressmen and women. While we each only have two senators, they, they have much more political clout. They have a much, much stronger economy. Uh, it, California depends on the Colorado River to, to serve something like 20 million people, uh, much more than in any other state. Uh, Arizona is probably a close second, but, um, but still uh, politically, uh, economically, population-based, the, the clout is in the, in the lower basin. Uh, what you refer to as the upper basin, the further up, upstream you are, perhaps having more, um, more clout. You know, in, in, water, in water lingo, we often say it's better to be upstream with a shovel than downstream with a senior right. But um, in fact, these, uh, the hydrology and, and how this river has developed with major reservoirs above the lower basin, but not uh, above the upper basin, it gives them a much more secure source of water than, than what we have. We are at the mercy of mother nature, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, whereas they have huge reservoirs that essentially if they were full and they were full in, nine, in 2000, the year 2000, it, there was something like four full years worth of supply in those reservoirs. Though, because we've been using more water than has been coming into the, those reservoirs, we've essentially drained them. They're not completely drained right now, but we're trying to, the, the work that we're doing right now is to try and keep them from uh, being completely drained. You know, when they are completely drained and you can't actually push water through anymore, we call that being uh, at Deadpool. That is, there might still be water in the reservoir, but you can't really get it out. So the only thing that goes through there at that point is whatever is coming in at the upper end. So we talked, you mentioned shortages and shortage sharing. So cities like Albuquerque and Santa Fe diversified away from sort of sole reliance on the Rio Grande and groundwater and have built up a lot of infrastructure to take advantage of the sort of Colorado River basin allocations and, you know, probably built out on the promise of that water. What risk does that put these cities at as the Colorado River and the Rio Grande are, are really facing the same challenges? Well, you, you point out a really uh, important point. Um, Arizona, uh, excuse me, Albuquerque and uh, Santa Fe, as you, as you point out, and, uh, currently rely on significantly um, for their water portfolio on San Juan Chamo water. That's water that's coming from the San Juan River goes through the tunnels under the Continental Divide and is delivered into the Chama River and then flows downstream to uh, the Rio Grande and, and they're able to use it. Um, as you've pointed out, it, with recent hydrology, already in the last few years, um, they've been shorted, um, you know, in the last couple, probably by 40% um, in terms of what their contract amount might was um, or, or is. But... Um, that if if uh, climate the climate continues in the in the trajectory that it's on is likely to continue. They'll probably be shorted uh, year to year. Some years in, in good years, uh, they will get a full supply. This might be one of those years, hopefully. Um, but you know the the greater risk is if the upper basin as a whole, um, we are. Uh, under the 1922 compact, uh, we have to make sure that there's at least 75 million acre feet that flow to the lower basin. 
we can't use a water such that they don't get that amount. Well, the hydrology is making that a real challenge. And within, to date, we've never hit that threshold. And um, we're still probably a few years away from hitting that threshold. But we do have to think about how we manage our water such that if we hit that threshold, threshold we can still meet priority needs, including things like uh, San Juan Chama uh, contractors' needs in Albuquerque and, and Santa Fe and elsewhere. What role do New Mexico's tribes play when it comes to allocations, but also these bigger conversations on the Colorado River? Uh, first of all, with regard to allocations, <clears throat> New Mexico is very fortunate, I believe, in that uh, we've been able to solve, uh, or not solve, but rather um, settle the water rights claims of both the Navajo Nation and the Hikaria uh, Apache Nation in the San Juan Basin. Um, there's one other uh, tribe that, that has uh, claims to water rights up there, even though they don't have a population base in New Mexico. That's the Ute Mountain Ute tribe, that, that uh, they have a, so a land base right near the Four Corners area. And um, they've now um, made some claims on, on that water. That's not yet resolved, but we are working on it. But the, we have been able to resolve those water rights claims for the Navajo and the Apache nations within New Mexico's apportionment of, of water, what we have under the compact. We've been able to, to um, resolve those, those claims. And so that's a really good position to be in. Um, additionally, the, because both of those tribes have developed, that is put to use, a significant portion of that water, even if not all of it. Um, I think the, the Hikaria Apache Nation has generally put to use all of its water, but the Navajos have not yet finished. Um, they're still developing, for example, uh, the Navajo Gallup pipeline that would send water all along the, the western edge of New Mexico down towards the city of Gallup and even beyond um, to, to serve domestic uses. Um, that uh, will that important that's a, a very important use of water for New Mexico. And once it's it's there, uh, they I think the, the very fact that the, those are relatively senior rights helps protect some of that water for New Mexico. Um, you've asked about the the um, participation by those tribes in these uh, negotiations. Uh, to date, it has not been a very direct uh, participation. You know, historically, the, the states simply uh, got together and, and uh, divvied up water. And then, uh, you know, within our apportionments, we dealt with the tribes. Uh, the tribes have been increasingly vocal about their the need for them to um, participate in this, given the large um, allocations of water that they have been apportioned. And we are working on trying to make that uh, more of a reality. In this instance, uh, in, in, we have set up um, probably weekly uh, meetings with the Upper Basin Tribes. The, the Upper Colorado River Commission has set up weekly um, meetings with those tribes to keep them abreast of what's going on. Um, I think they would very much um, like to participate directly in the discussions that are going on. 
But as you can well imagine, uh, I think uh, the part of the struggle here is that even pulling together seven states uh, in and, and getting a consensus is incredibly challenging sometimes. If you add to that uh, 30 sovereign nations, uh, tribal nations within the Colorado River Basin, that becomes a really big, big challenge. So I think we're, uh, we're cognizant of the fact that they need to be included. We're trying to do it in a way that um, will allow us to work through this crisis quickly and um, in a sensible way. And right now, what we're trying to do most is make sure that we have very open lines of communications with the tribes. So speaking of the tribes, I'm thinking of Daryl V. Hill, who's actually from Hickory Apache Nation, um, who's involved with the 10 Tribes Partnership in the, the lower basin. And I've heard him say a number of times that the compact needs to be um, tossed out, renegotiated. Um, do you think that that's something that we can really envision in the future? I don't think that that's a good idea. Um, and, and let me just put it, let me explain it this way. Um, going back to what we talked about earlier, when you think about where the clout within this basin is, where the political clout, the economic clout, the population base is, and everything else, um, I doubt that we'd be able to uh, come out with a better deal than what we had back, back then. So it would just make things much, much more difficult. Um, plus, it would just destabilize the whole system at a time when we can't, the system is already hydrologically de destabilized. Uh, we have to, in my mind, uh, we've been successful in working within the confines of the of the um, what we term the law of the law of the river, which is the 1922 compact, the 1948 compact, uh, the Mexican treaty, and a whole host of other um, management tools that that we that we work with. We've been successful in finding flexibility within those um, those compacts and treaties and everything else. And I think that's our best um, our best hope of finding a um, solution timely right now while we're while we face this crisis. So you have worked on water issues in New Mexico um, for a long time and across the state. Um, being as familiar as you are with the Colorado River system and the Rio Grande, what similarities and what differences do you see in terms of water security and politics on, on both of those rivers in terms of New Mexico? There's, there's an awful lot of similarities. Um, I think first, let me point out a difference. Um, the Colorado River is, is um, you know, in terms of the, the annual flows that we get from the Colorado R River versus the annual flows that we get from the, the Rio Grande, uh, the Colorado River is about 10 times as big, um, roughly speaking. Uh, and um, so that's one. The other really big difference is dealing with not only the, the um, country of Mexico, but seven, uh, seven states having to try and figure this out with all of the tribes that you just talked about or that we just talked about, uh, versus on the Rio Grande, you have three states, Colorado, New Mexico, and, and Texas, 
and the, and the country of Mexico. And we have a number of tribes primarily within New Mexico, but um, Texas doesn't have any tribes uh, that they, they, they have to deal with. And I don't think that Colorado does either within the Colorado River Basin state uh, system. The similarities, however, are uh, both river systems are suffering uh, dramatic uh, reductions in flow as a result of uh, extended drought or climate change or probably a combination of both. It's expected, uh, climate change, climate scientists expect that both, um, both stream systems will continue to get drier. And, you know, as temperatures go up, um, even if we do have precipitation, we, a lot less of that actually makes it into the, into the stream systems. We don't get as much runoff. Uh, and a lot of times the, um, the precipitation that we do get, which historically had been up in the mountains as snow, and then released uh, slowly over uh, over the course of a warming summer, um, more and more of that precipitation is likely to be rain uh, in the future, and that gives us big uh, management challenges. Um, the Rio Grande, in some regards, is is ahead of the Colorado River system in terms of having had to face the realities of these uh, difficult hydrologies um, at least a decade ago. Uh, it was very, very uh, difficult and people had to really, um, you know, you rein in their uses and figure, figure out how to make things work, but they've done it. And we've been able to keep a thriving economy and, and without, you know, we haven't, um, the whole system didn't collapse as a result. And I think uh, that's kind of the, the challenge we're facing on the Colorado River right now. We just haven't really figured out how those uh, reductions are gonna be made and what those impacts are gonna be. But I, I trust that once we make those decisions, we'll find a way to work within that available supply and keep our, uh, our necessary systems going and, and actually thriving. So I don't mean to keep coming back to Arizona and California, but I just keep thinking about those conflicts on the in the lower basin. And I wonder what you think, given New Mexico's diversity and our long traditions with water use and water sharing um, and sort of traditional water systems. Do you think that New Mexico has a, can New Mexico be a leader in looking toward this water constrained future and offering some sort of guidance to these, you know, bigger states with these bigger economies? Um, yeah. Well, I, I do think that there's, there's a lot of wisdom in, in the question you just framed. Um, you know, we we have a longer history of of uh, finding ways of sharing uh, a limited supply, and that's uh, kind of what the uh, seven states have been trying to do for the last 20, 20 years. And to the extent that we've been successful, that's kept us out of litigation, which, in my mind, is um, absolutely crucial. You know, I think if we get into litigation with seven states with all of the tribes, with Mexico, um, I can't imagine that that's going to yield any um, quick and acceptable solutions. Uh, 
if there's quick solutions, it's going to be one side wins and the other loses. Uh, we, I think we, the, the lesson that can be learned from New Mexico and its long history of, of um, shortage sharing is that we can find ways of sharing a limited supply and have everybody um, still continue to thrive. And, and that message is, is out there. It's, it's part of the discussions that are going on right now. Um, and, and, and it will continue to be. So just looking ahead to this year and maybe the next five or 10, what are you hopeful for on the Colorado River? First of all, I'm optimistic uh, from one uh, regard. You know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a daunting challenge, what we've got to do. On the other hand, for perhaps the first time uh, that I'm aware of, um, the the nature of the of the problem is uh, acknowledged across the board. All seven states now acknowledge it, uh, whereas you know uh, back ten years ago there was um, there was not a, a an agreement that we actually had a problem that we had to work out. Right now, everybody understands the nature of the problem. Everybody's kind of has a common uh, objective in terms of how much we think we have to reduce the uses and so forth. How we do it, we, st we still haven't figured out. But um, for, for that reason, uh, you know, that makes me optimistic in, in that we've kind of finally defined the, pro the problem. Now we have to work through it. Um, Mexico, uh, they recognize just how tenuous a situation it is. And... Um, and they are committed to, to working through these problems with us. Um, so I think those are the things that I think um, make me optimistic about this. It, it, is a, it is a challenge. There's Everybody has their own interests that they're trying to protect. But um, in the end, I think we all recognize also that if we don't do what we have to do, uh, either the Secretary of Interior will Im impose those shortages unilaterally, or if she doesn't, um, nature nature will. You know, if we continue uh, on this on this path, we've got to figure out a way of managing the river at this very very low end. You know, all our um, operating guidelines for the river assumed reservoirs that were going to be full or close to full for, and and that's the way we've always operated. Operating at these lower end of the reservoirs, we have we need to have new um, management criteria, and that's our challenge right now. Uh, we we need to figure that out by probably August of this year, and then immediately after that, we've got uh, to start renegotiating the 2007 guidelines, uh, interim guidelines, which expire in 2026. And so we've got to uh, um, negotiate a new set of guidelines going forward, a completely new set of guidelines, but one that uh, hopefully will be informed by this new uh, climate that we're seeing and this uh, reality that we're likely to be operating with a lot less water than we ever had uh, thought we had before. Well, Commissioner Lopez, I appreciate you talking with me today. This has been really helpful. Well, I appreciate this opportunity. I, I thank you for all your questions. They're very insightful questions. And um, uh, I encourage all your listeners to, to, uh, to stay tuned. This is an important issue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus. Find more environmental content on New Mexico in Focus as part of our show, Our Land, New Mexico's Environmental Past, Present, and Future. You can find Our Land all over the place on the PBS video app, Instagram, YouTube, and subscribe to Our Land Weekly. Thanks. Bye.